Welcome to Let's Talk CP, the new podcast series about all things cerebral palsy, presented by the Cerebral Palsy Foundation. Each episode features different clinicians, parents, people with CP, and other experts talking about ways to help you better navigate your journey with CP. I'm Jason Benetti, play-by-play announcer of the Chicago White Sox and ESPN, and I have CP. And I'm your host, Cynthia Fresina, the Vice President of the Cerebral Palsy Foundation, creator of National Cerebral Palsy Awareness Day, and most importantly, mom of two wonderful daughters. My youngest daughter, Catherine, has CP and is the reason I got involved in advocating for other families and for more CP research. On today's episode, I'm thrilled to be talking with Dr. Hank Chambers, a pediatric orthopedic surgeon at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego, who also serves as a professor of clinical orthopedic surgery at the University of California, San Diego. One of the most important things about Dr. Chambers that I wanted to share with you today, especially because we're talking to families about navigating their CP journey, is his family. Dr. Chambers' wonderful wife, Jill, is active in many local and national patient advocacy groups and a healing touch provider at Rady Children's Hospital. Dr. Chambers also has an adult son with CP who currently lives independently with support and another son who is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Dr. Chambers, welcome. (laughs) Well, thanks, Cynthia. That was a way too long of an introduction, but thanks. Well, you know, it, it could have even been longer with all of the things that you've accomplished and done, but we are so excited for you to be one of our very first guests on our new podcast initiative, because as you know, families are always in search of more information and really being able to hear from clinicians clinicians who can share information, but the thing that makes you one of the unique clinicians who can really add that family human aspect is that you are also a father, a father of a son with CP as well as, you know, a a husband and, and you've really been involved in the, in the CP community. So thank you for joining with us today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this honor. And I, I do have experience of seeing this from both sides of the equation. And I hope that maybe I can share some insights with you today. Well, we're really excited. Now, the focus of the episode today is to be able to share with families what they can expect when they have a medical appointment with a clinician like you for their child with CP. Uh, so many times parents are really nervous and they don't know what to expect when they have a medical appointment especially with someone who might have, you know, be an orthopedic surgeon or if a specific procedure may be discussed, such as surgery or botulinum toxin injections or something like that. And so really wanted to to get your thoughts and opinions and, and recommendations for families of how they can make that whole process a little bit more pleasant and 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 just be most effective and beneficial for their child. But we thought we might start with the question that I think a lot of families still don't fully understand of what is cerebral palsy? So cerebral means brain. So that is what is the cause of the injury. There's something happened to the brain at some time during um, either before the child was born or a 
up to the age of two, almost by definition, if anything happened to your brain during that time. And, and it's usually an injury um, or a developmental problem. Um, it could be something like not getting enough oxygen to the brain, although that's actually pretty rare. Um, it can be due to prematurity um, if your child's born before a full term. Before a full term, um, they could have a, uh, an injury to the brain where the cells aren't in the right place. So that can cause cerebral palsy. Um, and unfortunately, things like a, a head injury can cause it in, when the child's uh, one, or, one or two years old. Um, and other things like a stroke. A child could have a stroke either while they're in the womb or um, slightly after birth. Um, and that can cause a child that has cerebral palsy that's on one side. So there's, you know, there's different gradations of cerebral palsy from children who are very mild and you can hardly tell they have cerebral palsy um, to children who are completely involved and are in a wheelchair and have to be um, fed. Um, uh, so that, that once again, there's a huge range so that every child is different. So it's hard to, to, to put people in, uh, in big groups. Um, so when it's, when it's your child... You're only concerned about your child and not the, the, the big groupings. Absolutely. Maybe you could also describe some of the more common types of cerebral palsy that families you know, may not really fully understand that either. Yeah. So based on the, the, where, the, where the lesion happens in the brain or where the injury happens in the brain, um, you might have one side of your body involved, and that's called hemiplegia. So the upper extremities and the lower extremities are involved, on, say, on the right side. Um, you can have what's called diplegia, um, which is where the lower limbs are more involved than the upper limbs. And there's a movement both in Europe and the United States to call that either unilateral, which means one side, or bilateral, which is both sides. The kid, and then there are also people that have cerebral palsy where they're in total, their total body is involved. And that's called either total body involvement cerebral palsy or uh, quadriplegia. And so that just kind of tells you where the when the, where where in the brain um, the injury is and how that affects the rest of the body. But then we also subdivide it based on the movement disorder that um, your your child might have or you might have, and that is uh, a thing called spasticity. And spasticity is um, the reaction of a muscle to a rapid stretch. And for those of you who have seen the doctor examine your child or maybe examine you when they use the reflex hammer that actually stretches the tendon and then your muscle fires really quickly. You've, you may have seen that on your child. Um, and that's what spasticity is. There are other movement disorders such as dystonia, and that's for the kids who are um, kids and adults who are more severely involved. They usually are the kids that have quadriplegia. And that's kind of when your child postures, they move their arms in a, a certain position or they grimace when they talk or they turn their head one way. And that's, little, that's different from, just from spasticity because it's a different part of the brain that's affected. Many, many children have a little bit of both. Um, the other, other types of movement disorders are a thing called ataxia. And ataxia is kind of where when you walk that every step is different from the step before. Um, I, I, I hate to use this, but it's almost the analogy is like someone who's had too much to drink. So they, they kind of walk um, differently. <laughs> yes. Um, and so that so it's almost the same cause actually um, with the, the brain when you drink alcohol. But um, so some of, a lot of children have all of these together. So when your your doctor says your child has, for example, spastic diplegia, 
that tells us what type of uh, disorder they have as far as where it happens and where where it's occurring, but also um, what the motor, what the movement disorder is. And in this case, it's spasticity. That is so helpful. I mean, just for families to be listening to you describe this in such an easy way to understand is going to be so helpful for them. And one question I know that parents and caregivers struggle with sometimes is how do they know when they should see an orthopedic surgeon and make an appointment with someone like you? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different models around the United States, around the world, um, on how you, how, doc, how children with cerebral palsy are seen. And in some places, um, the, the, there's a developmental pediatrician, which is a, a really good model where there's a pediatrician who takes care of all the issues related to cerebral palsy. You, the, uh, most patients still have a primary care pediatrician to take care of colds and fevers and things like that. But then they have a developmental pediatrician um, who helps manage all, you know, all of their um, issues related to cerebral palsy. So that's one model. Another model is where you have a primary care pediatrician or internist, for example, and then they refer you to a physical medicine and rehabilitation doctor. Um, you, you might have also heard those um, people called physiatrists or physiatrist, once again, how do you pronounce that? Right, um, <laughs> that's a confusing and, one too. <laughs> right, and so they th- those those doctors are specialized in the management of the movement disorders that I talked about, spasticity and dystonia. They're also um, experts in physical therapy and occupational therapy, at least getting you to those specialists. And um, many times in those models where, the, that, where that's happened, those are the ones that refer you to an orthopedic surgeon because they see something that's out of the ordinary and that might be managed better by orthopedic surgeons. In some places, um, the orthopedic surgeon is the primary doctor that you see. And that's where you um, were. For example, when I first moved to San Diego, there were no physiatrists in San Diego. So all the patients came to see um, me and my partners. And we, we would take care of everything. We take care of their spasticity management, their braces, um, prescribing physical therapy, and of course, um, prescribing and performing the orthopedic surgery. What other kinds of procedures does an orthopedic surgeon uh, most commonly perform, you know, to help children with CP? I know there's lots of different orthopedic surgery procedures. Are there, are there other things that you also, uh, other kinds of procedures or treatments that you focus on as well? Yeah, so most of many of us um, that take care of children with cerebral palsy are also uh, well versed in the management of spasticity and dystonia, and so we will. Uh, many of us do our own injections of botulinum toxins. We'll prescribe the uh, medication, some of the oral medications you might have heard of, such as baclofen um, or. Um, Valium even um, for for the spasticity management. That actually brings up a a great question. We get so many, so many questions from families about, you know, what to expect at an appointment. So if if a family or caregiver was making an appointment with you, what, what would they, what would be a normal expectation to have in their first appointment with you? And how could they prepare to make that appointment as beneficial? Like from your perspective as an orthopedic surgeon, what what advice would you give from that perspective and, and what could they expect? 
Yeah. A lot of that depends on, once again, the severity of the cerebral palsy and also their age. Um, I, you know, when I see a 10 year old, it's a different exam and a different experience than a, than a two year old. But, um, just in general, if you've, if this is the first time you're seeing me, you've seen maybe a physical medicine and rehab doctor, you have a developmental pediatrician, we, we, we like to have all of the records. So if you're coming from a distance and you're not in a computerized system, um, like many, many places are now, but if, if you aren't, it, for us to have the records of what happened at birth, what medications you're on, what kind of physical and occupational therapy you're getting, are you getting any speech therapy? Um, we want to know the whole picture um, when we before we see you. We'd like to have the, that information before we even walk in the room. And then, of course, we're going to ask you the questions about, first of all, why you're there to see us. And, you know, many times it's because they're walking on their toes, for example, or they're turning inward or they're falling more. Um, so we want to get an idea of why you're there. Um, then we'll, we'll do a, a complete physical examination. And, and part of it, that would be mostly range of motion of all of the joints of your upper and lower extremity. We'll assess for the strength of the muscles. Um, we'll assess whether your child has the ability to control the muscles. Sometimes you might have a muscle that is actually pretty normal, but your brain can't communicate with that muscle to get it to work the way it's supposed to work. We'll, um, we'll watch you walk, if you can walk, um, whether it's without um, braces, with braces, with or without a walker um, or crutches. Um, then we'll, um, if you're uh, not uh, someone who's not walking, we're, we're going to examine your wheelchair to make sure you have the right wheelchair and the right seating system. And many times we're, we'll get x-rays um, of your hips and sometimes of, of the feet, um, and the feet or the knees. But we're, we're getting x-rays of your um, lower extremity. And as your child gets older, 9, 10, 11, 12, we'll start getting x-rays of the spine so we can follow that. Um, and, and, and once again, all of these things are going to be different dep depending on the severity of your child's uh, cerebral palsy. So if it, when a parent um, has that initial appointment, and let's say then at some point you make a rec recommendation either for surgery or maybe it's botulinum toxin or some other uh, treatment or procedures, what kind of questions would you recommend that a, a parent or a caregiver ask you in considering or weighing all the options or just being able to become more informed about what, you know, what might need to happen for their child? What what recommendations or advice might you give? Yeah, I think one of the, you know, everyone's obviously, well, I think anytime you go to any doctor, all of us are anxious for, you know, what are you going to tell me? Um, but I think for parents, it's always, it's always harder because they've already probably seen seven or eight other different doctors. So it becomes difficult. Um, I, I think, you know, most of the, most of the parents that I see are, are very sophisticated. They, you know, they've read, um, they now can go to CP resources at the CP foundation and get much more information. Um, and having, have, you know, that really helps our conversation. Um, it's always hard when people come in and, and don't even know what cerebral palsy is. Um, but we're happy to educate them, but it's, I, I can say we're getting much more sophisticated consumers these days. The, um, you know, the questions you ask, say, if I recommend surgery, and I try not to recommend surgery the first time I see someone. I'd, I'd like to know the family better. I'd like to know the, the child better. Um, 
But if, if, if for some reason they come and one of their hips is dislocated, I'm going to sit down and tell them, this is what I think needs to be done. I'll tell them, you should ask the doctor, why do you think this surgery needs to be done? Or why this intervention, whether it's botulinum toxin or oral medication? Why, why does my child need this? Um, what are the um, expected outcomes? What, what, why, if you're going to do this, why, what, what do I expect, uh, say, three months from the surgery or the intervention? What advice would you give to parents in thinking about that, like in terms of that whole orthopedic spasticity management from childhood through adulthood? And when do you start, what, what age do you think it's, it's really helpful to start bringing the child into the conversation uh, in terms of their treatment plan and how they think about that? Yeah, I, I'm a kind of, I'm a believer in in getting your child involved as soon as if, as soon as they cognitively can. If they can understand what's going on, um, I, I rarely talk to the parents. I talk to the child right away, as, and as much as they can understand, and hopefully the parents just can hear what I'm saying. I'll answer the I'll answer the parents' questions directly, of course, if they have any. But you know, I think it's uh, important for we physicians to not ignore the kid in the room. And, and that often happens in someone with cerebral palsy. So I, I always talk to the child first and um, see what they want to know, see what their concerns are. Um, you, you're talking, uh, your question is really an important one. It's talking about the lifespan, the, the lifespan of the child. And, you know, so we, when I see a, a three-year-old, I'm thinking of what's this child going to be when they're 40? And I do that all the time because I don't, you know, if I if I think of just short term, there'll just be a lot of, you know, little small interventions maybe, or maybe not do anything because I said, well, this kid's three years old, nothing's um, going to happen to them right now. But I'm I'm thinking, what's going to happen if I don't do this surgery, and their hip completely dislocates and they're in pain when they're 30? And I think that's an important way to to think about orthopedic surgery, and actually all the other things. Um, we uh, transition from childhood care to adult care is a huge issue. And um, I know it's on the Cerebral Palsy Foundation website, and there are a lot of adults that are giving advice about this. I think as a doctor and also as a parent, we should start talking about transitioning to adult care when the child's a teenager, when they're like 14. Say, you know, pretty soon you're going to be in charge of your health care or you're going to be helping your parents make decisions and um, and there's also going to be many, many times where you're not going to be able to see a pediatric provider. So your pediatric physical medicine rehab doctors, your therapists, your speech, speech therapist, your occupational therapist, um, your orthopedic surgeon will stop seeing you when you're 18, sometimes 21. I've been really lucky, and I hope I, my, my family thinks they're lucky too, as I started an adult clinic in 1995. So I see adults, I see patients their whole life. And we've hired a physiatrist um, here at, in San Diego who sees adults with cerebral palsy for their whole life. My oldest patient is 87 years old. That's incredible. So it, That's, I didn't know so that. It, so I, I, yeah, it's really nice. So I, I, so I feel really good about doing that. But, you know, not every, not every um, pediatric provider can do that. Um, mainly because of their hospital won't let them. You know, they, they have a, a cutoff at at 21 years old, some go up to 35 years old, but at some point you have to go to an adult provider. So we we still talk to families even with that to make sure you have a good primary care doctor 
and we help them do that. It's actually really difficult. Um, and I know you and I have, you've been on Capitol Hill many more times than I have. I've been on Capitol Hill with you. Yes. And one of the things, one of the things I've, I've talked to um, uh, our uh, legislators about is, is that there's no good way to transition because of health, because of the way that healthcare dollars spent. Right. So it's really hard for families during this time uh, transitioning from 18 to 21 to adult care. So that's something we start talking about at a really young age, and um, hopefully we can carry that through. That's that's fantastic, and, and it's so important. I mean, my daughter now is just graduating from high school and transitioning, you know, to adulthood, and it's a it's a huge challenge. It's one I didn't really anticipate yeah, yeah. All, the, all the considerations. It is, and there's not enough so clinics <laughs> like you're doing yeah. with adults. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, one question we also get a lot of is when you're when you're recommending to a family an uncomfortable procedure, a procedure that either is going could involve pain or a long recovery, whether it be surgery or injections or some some other type of, of procedure. How do you sort of address that aspect with them in terms of the the discomfort part of, of telling someone, you know, that there's going, you know, going to be pain or, or it's not going to be, you know, there's going to be some unpleasant parts. How do you, how do you, you know, recommend to parents that they talk to their child about that? And how do you talk to the children about that? Yeah, that, that's a very important part of our, of our care. And we have uh, several several modalities that we'd use. So, um, for example, in my clinic, um, uh, we have healing touch practitioners, including my wife. Um, and so they help, you know, calm the child and, and the family. So it works, it works with all of them just to, you know, to try to get them to focus and, um, um, just helps with their anxiety. But we're also really upfront that we have a very, um, comprehensive uh, way to treat that. Uh, so we have um, there's some oral medications that you can take that that help through their anxiety. If any of the parents have ever had a procedure like a colonoscopy or something like that, it's the same medication that we use um, to help calm the child down. Um, and also, just one of the drugs that we give not only does it calm them down, it also makes them forget that they've had that procedure. Oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> that's a good... yeah, yeah. So that's a, so that's a good medication. We use that when we're doing. Um, botulinum toxin injections in the clinic. Um, so we're not even in the operating room. So th- that, that's very helpful. When we do go to, um, for children, that that's not even enough for them. We have um, a, a same-day procedure room where they get a little whiff of some gas or maybe even an IV medication um, to, you know, once again, decrease their anxiety and, you know, decrease their pain a little bit. Obviously, if you do it in clinic, it doesn't take very long. If you have to go to a same-day surgery center, it might, you know, it's a commitment of three or four hours. I had a question um, just in this pandemic sort of new order of the world with not obviously with surgeries, but with office appointments and things like that. Do you do telehealth appointments uh, or anything like that if a family isn't able to come into the into your office or or those kinds of considerations? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. It's something that we've been wanting to do for years, and oh, it's always on the back burner. We can't, we can't do this because we don't have the equipment. We don't have this, and all of a sudden, it became a mandate, or and just we had to do it. 
um, is very important. And all of a sudden, our, we turned on a switch, and I would say our physical medicine rehab doctors do 90% of their appointments via telehealth now. Wow. Um, yeah. It seems like and it's a the trend. Only, it's it's if I hope it'll stay um, because it's so it's so nice for especially for patients for for families with cerebral palsy. Many times they have equipment they have to bring or wheelchairs or they have to drive hundreds of miles to come uh, for an appointment for twenty minutes and um, it, and all this stuff can be done um, by telemedicine and it's been very successful. Um, I would say more so more so for children with cerebral palsy and other disabilities than um, other other problems like. You know, many of the things I have to do in orthopedics, I have to be able to examine their, um, if, say, if they have a knee injury, if they have torn their ACL or something, I have to actually put my hands on and, and do maneuvers to see if they have a tear. Um, and for kids with cerebral palsy, we can watch them walk. Um, the parents are getting better and using their iPhones, and we're able to um, get just as much, almost as much information. And then, if we have to, you know, we have to see the child once a year instead of every three months, it makes it so much easier for the parents. So, telemedicine has revolutionized the field of uh, rehabilitation medicine. Well, let's I think it's going to stay. Yeah, I hope it stays. That would be. I think it's going to stay. That would be great. Well, I have one last question for you, and that is. Any general words of encouragement or positivity that you might advise to give to parents or caregivers who are navigating this journey, whether they're at the early stage um, of just, you know, receiving the diagnosis or in that early, those are few early years, or they're later on in their journey where they might have a teen with CP transitioning to adulthood. What what last advice or or just general thoughts might you might you be able to share with them? You know, it really depends on the stage it's your your child is. So, when they're three years old, you're you know a lot of times you're just concerned: are they, is my child going to walk? Are they going to um, have friends? Are they going to um, fit in in school? They, you know, what, what's going to happen in their life? And and that's just you know just realize that's normal for your your child who doesn't have a disability. You're thinking kind of thinking the same things. And just realize that um, there are going to be highs and lows in your life. There's going to be some things where, you know, when your child thanks you and 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 uh, and obviously you love your child and uh, they love you back, those, those moments happen your whole life. And realize that there's a team of people there to help you. Your family, number one, um, your, 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 your spouse, um, your parents. Um, your other children, that, that there's going to be a support group for you, um, that um, eventually you're going to, they're going to come out of that procedure and realizing that the people that you're working with, the physicians, the therapists, um, the nurses are, are there to help you, help your child achieve their maximum potential. And if, if, if they're not, then you need to get a, a different doctor, a different group, because that's that should be our goal for all, all of our children. And um, the, you know, the things that we've gone through, my, my son's had 27 surgeries. Um, he's, uh, he's uh, we would talk about those levels. He's a level four patient. Um, he can drive his electric wheelchair, but we, we have to feed him. So he's kind of in, in that level. But we've had the, you know, the, the tough times with the getting the, you know, the spine surgery and his getting the baclofen pump and 
all of those things. But then we see all the, the fact that if he hadn't had all those procedures, he wouldn't be where he is today. Like he's in a wheelchair dance class. He's doing, um, my son, by the way, is 37 years old. Uh, so he's in a wheelchair dance class. He's in a drumming class. He goes to a comedy club. He has a lot of friends. And you're always afraid when your child is a teenager that once they get out of school, they're not going to have any friends. And, and I think we found that that's not true. Um, it's still difficult, but um, he's living a, he's living his life to his full potential. And, and that's all we can ask for any of our children. And just know that the team of doctors that you're going to, team of doctors, nurses, and therapists that you're working with, that we all should have the same goal. That's incredible, Dr. Chambers. I I can't thank you enough for being our guest today because I think your perspective, both as a clinician, a surgeon, and a father, is really unique. And our families are definitely going to be so appreciative of hearing what you have to say. We will be posting our podcast on CP Resource, and you'll be able to access it. All of our families in our community will be able to access this on many different platforms, uh, as well as social media. And we look forward to all of your comments on our Facebook page, our Instagram page, and let us know what you think. Thank you, Dr. Chambers, and we look forward to next time. Our What to Expect podcast series is made possible in part by the support of Ibsen Biopharmaceuticals. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk CP. I'm Jason Benetti, CPF ambassador and sports television announcer. If you like our show and want to know more, please visit our new CP resource page at cpresource.org, where you can listen to all of our episodes and subscribe so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in Let's Talk CP, we'd appreciate a rating. And please tell a friend or another family member about the show to help others and increase cerebral palsy awareness and education. Be sure to tune in to Let's Talk CP for our next episode. This podcast represents the opinions of our guests and the content should not be taken as medical advice. Each person and situation is unique, so please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.